Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ah. Hi there. Well, I can see you're ready today. I am ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. He's going to psych myself up to think that a puny mortal such as I yeah. could be on OutlawRadioVive.com. Well, that's the easy part. That's the easy part. Filling the next hour is going to be the hard part. That's the hard part, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. The following program is produced with an artistic vengeance by Magic Matt Allen, who's a, a radio hero. To whom? People who don't know any better. <laughs> But he's a great disc jockey. Yes. He is. I'm not going to argue that. He knows how to play the hits. Disc and jockey, they, I love that. I love yeah. that term. The phrase disc jockey. Not radio personality, but disc jockey. I've hated yeah, the word disc jockey love since it. I was one. Yeah. Then why did you agree with it, Howard? I don't know. Well, because he knew that what I meant was well-intentioned. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm the legendary Burl Bear. That's uh, Howard Lapidus, manager of the star and manager of every burglar and safe cracker in the <laughs> It's come to that now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a strange world we live in, Master Jack. And to show you how strange, I was doing research on various serial killers, spree killers, and uh, unsavory individuals. And I, then I remembered that the very first true crime book, not that I wrote, but that I read, was about this guy named uh, Herbert Mullen. Okay. Now, right away, you know, Herbert's... You know, maybe he's got some problems. Oh, yeah, because you set it up that way, but keep yeah. going. So I decided, let's have Herbert Mullen Day here on Outlaw Radio. Is that today? That's today. And uh, I asked Catherine Ramblin, who knows all about vampires and serial killers and, uh, you know. Uh, you asked her to be on the show, and she, and said, she said, sure. I really have no time for this. Today. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, said, but do Herbert. Do Herbert Mullen, because it's a fascinating story, and it takes place... Uh, it starts off in Salinas, then goes to Santa Cruz, and it's uh, just a... So I figured that today I will share, we can discuss. I would like that. Why don't you start from the beginning? Okay. I'll wait till the... Dum, 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 the music kind It's going to go away. Don't worry about it. But bro, move on. I'll move on, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't heard about uh, Herbert Mullen, you're going to hear about him today. He was born in Salinas, California, April 1947. Same year I was born... So he's kind of my generation, you know, and I'm talking about my generation. He was the son of Catholic parents. That's it was his upbringing, um, exceptionally strict, no, but it was, you know, it was a conservative Catholic family, and they, they raised him well with, with good values, and uh, uh, he was uh, kind of very successful for kids. Kids go. He was well-liked. Uh, it was high school sports. In what good. town now? Uh, this is Salinas. Salinas, California. Salinas, California. Okay. In fact, in high school, he was uh, not voted most likely to be a serial killer. He was voted most likely to succeed. He was very well liked. At being a, a serial killer, apparently. Yeah. That's a good fodder right there. Well, then, here comes the first little key element. In June 1965, when I believe uh, yesterday by the Beatles was probably number one and Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan coming in close behind... It was a little before that, but go ahead. Okay, am I close? Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, it's got, well, because August in 65, I know, mm -hmm. they were that was going on. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I was listening to the radio. Yes, you were. <laughs> I was. Well, his best friend, 
gets killed in an auto accident. Now, that's a sad situation anyway. Not, not good. No, where, where did that happen? That happened in the uh, Salinas area. Okay. So when his best friend gets killed in his car accident, it hits him really hard, and he starts, he builds a shrine to his uh, dead best friend in his bedroom, and starts becoming really uh, uh, into... Uh, kind of obsessiveness? Yeah, he starts getting obsessive about this. Yeah. And then... Uh, uh, he has his furniture in his uh, bedroom arranged around the dead guy's photograph, and then uh, he tells his girlfriend, he's got a girlfriend, Herbert does, he says, honey, I don't know quite how to break it to you, but... I shrunk the kids. <laughs> no, <laughs> I might be gay. Okay. That she goes, oh, okay. Now, by February 69, uh, he's starting to get even stranger. I mean, it's understandable him being upset about his, his best friend being killed. So the girl's gone at that point. No, the girl still sticks around. She figures, hey, you're going to find out whether he is or not. Let's put him to the test. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's working out pretty well. Uh, Mullen starts getting obsessed with Eastern religions. His family uh, noticing he's becoming more and more unrealistic and, and peculiar in his daily behavior, like there's something wrong with him. Uh, so they persuade him to go to into a mental institution and have him checked out, right? And he goes along with that. And he, uh, they check him out. They release him after six weeks. And they say, hey, maybe he's a bit of a sugar, but, you know, he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll be yeah. okay. Nothing, nothing too severe to worry about. So the, the folks are, are fairly hopeful. Well, then uh, he decides to start taking some of LSD, which is perfectly understandable for that time and place. 1965? Yeah, 66. Number, number one on the hit parade. Yeah, that's right, with a bullet. Well, now uh, it's, it's, he's starting to get paranoid, and the mental health professionals are saying, we believe that uh, your son has schizophrenia. Now, a lot of people think that schizophrenia means you're going to be violent, but it doesn't. Uh, the only violent schizophrenics are people who were violent before they had schizophrenia, you know. It's, you know the best indication of future behavior is past behavior. Well, he's becoming more and more paranoid. He's getting stranger, and he's hearing voices and not from people who are talking to him. He's hearing the voices, you know, in his head that are self, self-created. self They're communicating with him. They tell him to shave his head and burn his penis with a cigarette. The voices in the head said that? Yeah. Uh, personally, if they said that to me, I'd tell them to go you know, <laughs> take a short walk or a long walk up a short period of beers. But so he did that. Uh, he would start to uh, take a cigarette, and he'd burn his penis with that. Maybe he wanted to see if it would light up. I don't know. Whatever it was, the girlfriend was not amused by that. I don't think so. No. No. So he goes back to the hospital, uh, and they're, they're saying... Yeah, you're more than abyssal sugar now. We think you actually do. When have you say abyssal sugar, that means a it, little crazy. I know that, but yeah. I want to make sure the audience. Does. I could say it's it's crackers to slip a rose with a drop scene snide. That too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what that means? No. I'll tell you. That same thing. Okay. No, abyssal sugar. No, uh, it's crackers to slip a rose with a drop scene snide means it's crazy to pay off a cop and counterfeit money. That's what that means. True crime tip. <laughs> Anyway, I'm gonna go with that. Yeah. Uh, so he goes back into the hospital, right, and taking time out of his busy schedule of shaving his head and burning his penis, and he begins writing letters to total strangers at random, just long rambling letters to, to people he's, he's never heard of, and he signed them, "A human sacrifice, Herb Mullen." Okay. At the top of the hour. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. All right. Okay. Make now, this more interesting for me, please. <laughs> quickly. I know it's, it's it's not strange enough for you, Howard, is it? No. Uh, uh, well, after doing this, he decides to take to go to Hawaii. <laughs> you know, yeah, because he's a R and R. So that's June 1970. He goes to Hawaii and again winds up a brief commitment to a mental institution. Now, in, in, in Hawaii? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, then he comes back to Santa Cruz, and his odd behavior leads to conflicts with the police, if you can imagine that. No. And uh, this didn't get any better by him spending 13 months hiding out in a cheap San Francisco hotel. By the time he came home again in September of 72, uh, the disembodied voices were commanding him to kill. That's not a good sign. You think? Yeah, no. Now, uh, October 13, 1972, he's driving aimlessly, which is the worst way to drive, driving aimlessly through the Santa Cruz Mountains. And uh, he comes across an elderly transient named uh, Lawrence White, Pulling his car to the side of the road, Mullen asked White uh, if he could help him with some engine trouble that Mullen said he was having. Well, there wasn't any trouble with Mullen's engine. It was all, eh, eh, you know, there. So the, the guy said... So for the audience's sake, you pointed to your head there. Eh, eh, okay. Yeah, okay. right, okay. You can see that better on the television version. Okay. So he asked this guy, he says, I'd like some help with the, the, my car engine. And the gold guy says, uh, okay. And uh, he beats the man to death with a baseball bat. Okay. And just leaves him there. He's like that broadside attraction. Yeah. Gone. Now. That's the first murder he's ever committed. Yeah. And, I mean, he got off to quite a hot <coughs> start there. Yeah, I guess he so. He beats the guy to death with a baseball bat. Eleven days later, he picks up a co-ed, Mary Guilfoyle. She's late for a, an appointment. It's just she's trying to, like, hitch a ride to get there fast enough to keep the appointment. Uh, she doesn't make it there. Wonder uh, why. Uh, he stabs her. Uh... While he's driving the car, he, he stabs her in the chest and then stabs her in the back. So this guy uh, uses every method of murder possible. Yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing consistent about any yeah, of this. Yeah, okay. Except for the reason why he's doing this in his head. And well, that would I'll, be... I'll, yeah, I'll get to that moment. Okay. Now, not only does he kill her, which is rude, but he scatters her organs on the shoulder of a lonely road where skeletal remains were found in February of 73. It's the only one of his victims he dismembers. Now, on November 2nd, Mullen spoke too freely in the confessional at St. Mary's Church. He goes in to see the... goes to see the rabbi. goes to see the priest. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> goes to see the priest, and he confesses that he beat uh, Mr. Lawrence White to death with a baseball bat, and he stabbed this uh, Guilfoyle girl to death and dismembered her. Well, then it occurs to him, wait a second, the priest could probably go to the police about this. You know, they don't exactly have diplomatic immunity. And so he kills the priest. Okay, so what are we, two down now? No, uh, two, three. Three, okay. three, three down with uh, Father uh, uh, Tomei is, uh, is dead now. So, Mullen's crimes coincidentally overlapped with those of serial slayer Edmund uh, Kemper, earning Santa Cruz the unsavory reputation as Murderville, USA. Well, it's uh, starting to count that way, yeah. isn't it? Now, uh, November 72, Herbert's hearing brand new voices. Not just from the radio, not just from the TV. He's hearing them from prospective victims, communicating him, communicating with him psychically in advance. You know, like raising their hand. Yeah, like, no, I understand. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and that's better that way. Well, uh, the voice... you know who's next. Yes, well, that's true. The, the people uh, psychically would communicate with him <clears throat> and beg him to kill them. Okay. Uh, so he bought a pistol in December and... Uh, Went out to try to fulfill the request. So he smashed one guy's head. With a baseball bat. With a baseball bat. Then he, um, what was number two? Number two was the young lady who was late for an appointment. And how did he kill her? Stabbed her and then dismembered her. Stabbed and dismembered her. Now we're on number three. Well, no, the priest was number three. He killed the priest he confessed to. 
After he confessed to the I priest. I understand that. How did, he, how did he kill the priest? Uh, let's see. Da -da 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 -da. Fatally stabbed Father Henry. Uh, so two stabs, one one yeah, smashed bat. in the head. Yeah. yeah okay. Bat. Now, uh, January twenty fifth, nineteen seventy three. Nineteen seventy three. Mullen went looking for uh, his old buddy, his named Jim. That was the, the guy. Jim was the guy who first turned him on to marijuana. You, you don't mess around with Jim, but no, way. no. Okay. Now, uh, Herb now regarded. Uh, him being get, getting marijuana for the first time as a plot to destroy his mind, and he meant to avenge himself. So he's going to go after the guy who gave him his first uh, joint. Right? So uh, he goes to the last address he he has for for Jim, uh, and Jim doesn't live there anymore. Uh, there's a 29-year-old Kathy uh, Francis lives there now, and she says, "No, Jim doesn't live here anymore." Uh, but I'll give you directions to where he lives. Oh, she knows. Yeah, and so she gives directions. Okay. So he goes over. Uh, there, uh, uh, and he found Jim at home, and he he, uh, he knifed uh, him to death. And then, as an added act of, uh, he shoots uh, Jim's wife for good measure. Well, she happened to be there. Yeah, like everyone in the house. So he's stabbed, killed, smashed. Now he's not done that day, and shot. Okay. Oh, still more that day. He's going to go back to uh, Kathy Francis's house where Jim used to live. Right. And kill her too. Well, you know. Not only I, that. Yeah. Kills her and her two small sons. Oh man. No. He shoots shoots all of them. Yeah. Now that was January twenty fifth of seventy three. Not that much later, February sixth, nineteen seventy four. Uh, uh, seventy three. No. No, I guess you're right. It would be seventy four. I am right. You well, are so again. smart, Howard. Keep going. You know, you've got a, well, like a I'm following the calendar story. in your brain yeah. there somewhere. Okay. <clears throat> February 6th, Mullen was hiking in a nearby state park when he comes across four teenage campers. Approaching the boys with casual conversation, whips out his pistol and kills all four of them. Pistol whipped. Yeah, pistol shot, too. Yeah, I know. Now, he still must have had more bullets because a week later, he's driving through Santa Cruz. And he pulls to the curb and fatally shoots a Fred Perez while the old man was working in his garden. Now, this time, the neighbors saw the license plate. Oh. oh anyway. Mm, mm, was, you know, this nice old man just yeah. got shot working in his garden. So what do all these people have in common? The, the, uh, the, the girl running late for this, the, the, the uh, Boy Scouts, whatever they were, out camping. You know, he's getting communication from these people, he believes, psychically, saying... We're the ones. Come get us. Why? Well, it's not like the movie Frailty, where they're demons. Because they all ate quinoa? No, it's because there's going to be a giant California earthquake. And the only way to stop this giant California earthquake is human sacrifices. And the people who are going to be sacrificed want that honor. They want to be the saviors of mankind. They want to save California. And so they say, Herb... Please kill us so we can stop the earthquake. So we, uh, that stops them from voting for Jerry Brown, is that? <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> okay. It, it didn't work, though. No. <laughs> but no, that's that, that, in his head, that's what's going on, is that he's doing a good deed. He is saving California from this horrible earthquake. And so actually, so are these people. They're working together as a team. They're saying, Herb, kill us so we can save California. And he's saying, I'm happy to do it. 
And you know what? Desi says to this day, and he's still alive. He says, I was right. Yeah. We, well, we, where, where does he live? He lives in a penitentiary. That's what I thought. Yeah. Hang on, Mark C.G. Boyer, what are you, what are you uh, looking for? Your, your phone is missing? Well, why do we glasses? just call you? Yeah. <laughs> the ringer's down. Oh. Perfect. That makes life easier. Uh, I'm on your show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mark, Mark's looking for his phone. Ladies and gentlemen, if you find Mark's phone, you can help prevent an earthquake in California by giving it back to him. <laughs> He'd really appreciate that. So in custody, Mullen confesses to all these murders. He doesn't say, I didn't do it. He's proud to have done it. Well, what else has he got to, you know, brag about? Come on. Keep going. Well, now you think with this guy's history of mental illness, mm -hmm. going all the way back to, up to high school, mm -hmm. or just after high school, he's going to college. And you look at his, his path, he gets his job being a dishwasher, then he goes to the mental institution. Sometimes he goes in voluntarily. He can tell he's, you know, he's nuts, and he goes in, and uh, they give him medication. He should be fine if he took his meds, but he doesn't. And the doctors tell the family, this is a very dangerous situation. Uh, he tends to be violent anyway. He gets worked up real easy. And uh, he won't take his medication. We're afraid he's going to be a danger to himself and to others. He'll go along being fine for a little bit of time. And then he'll start reinventing himself. Like, you know, I think he shaved his head. And then one time, he got a big black sombrero and grew a mustache and spoke in a phony Mexican accent. He said he'd be Mexican for a while. That didn't work out too well. Have you ever tried that? Uh, no, uh, okay. I tried to be a Lithuanian one. <clears throat> yes, and, and you, you still maintain that. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you can, so you can see that there's a whole pattern there of, of mental illness, being in mental institutions. Being Lithuanian. Being Lithuanian. We didn't have enough lithium for him to be Lithuanian. Hello. <laughs> now, you would think in today's modern society, where we know about mental illness, and a person has a history of mental illness. And Lithuanians. And, and well, and being uh, make-believe Mexican. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, like, there was a problem. And having killed all these people, you would think that he would be forever in a mental institution for the rest of his days. No, only the people that don't belong there stay, and the people that do belong there are gone. He's the gone guy. Uh, they said the jury ruled that he was perfectly sane and rational because uh -huh. all sane and rational people do these things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they put him in prison. Now, years ago when uh, the Earth was young and steam was still rising from the surface of the planet, I read a true crime book all about this guy. And putting him in prison hasn't helped him much. He's even crazier now than he was then. No kidding. So what he would do is he would write his, uh, you know, like his manifestos, his, you know, explanations of everything. Now that's all he does, 24-7. He's my age now. He's an altercock. He's 24-7 with these pads of paper writing and scribbling. And I saw pictures of his actual scribbling. And if he could understand him, he's the only human being on the planet who can. But uh, he, he has some interesting things to say. And he does come out for parole uh, in another year. So I just thought I'd mention that. Shall we go meet him and greet him as he yeah, leaves? Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, now... Uh, it's the show, bro. Keep it's going. It's the show, yeah. yeah. It's just my glasses. Are, uh, yeah. It's hard for me to see what I'm doing here because I, I'm blind. Uh, These are ugly crimes you've been uh, convicted of, said the judge. To uh, You were doing the judge there? I was doing the judge. You come okay. to judge, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Now, as the commissioner recited the names of his victims and the circumstances of their deaths, Mullen was calm 
impassive, a lifted eyebrow or a turn of the head, the only sign of any agitation was due to Roger Moore impersonation, apparently. Though he was argumentative at times, he maintained that composure throughout the hearing. People I'm accused of killing, I did kill, Mullen said. Not guilty by reason of insanity. Well, he was 26 when he entered the state prison system. Uh, he's due to be up for parole next year, 2020. I doubt they're going to, you know. Let him out? They're not letting this guy out. <clears throat> but see, the whole, as he kept saying, that uh, uh, he did a good deed. He did this to prevent the earthquake. Uh, and uh, he thought it was, to, he still to this day maintains that he's got nothing to be ashamed of. He worked in harmony with... Well, what do you think the guy's going to say? He's a lunatic. Well, yes, I think that should be fairly apparent. Uh, although his parents are upset. Now... Why isn't he in a mental institution? I don't know. That, that's what I I'm trying to, I'm hoping you get to in the last 15 minutes of this story. Why isn't uh, he in a mental institution? They didn't put him in one. That's why. Oh, good. Okay. Why, I mean, why did they not put him in one? Pearl's still free. Yes, yes, no kidding. That's right. I've only been uh, put away for like three, four months at a time. <laughs> and I would... And, and get ready for another three yeah. coming up. Uh, he says, we human beings through the history of our world have protected our communities from cataclysmic earthquakes by murder. In other words, a minor natural disaster avoids a major natural disaster. But if murder, he's asked, is a natural disaster, then why should you be locked up for it if it's natural and has a good effect? Well, it's your laws, he says. You see, the thing is, people get together, say, in the White House. People like to sing the die song, you know. People like to sing the die song. And if I'm president of my class when I graduate from high school, I can tell two possible three young uh, homo sapiens to die. Okay. Yeah, he, he just babbles on like this. Yeah, I'd say babble is the is the way, and you're doing a good job of it. Well, in, I, I have a lot of history of babbling. I yes, I know. Talk up to Papa was a Rolling Stone. So. <laughs> 23 and three quarter seconds. No kidding. Temptations. Yeah, I was tempted to try it again. Now, uh... When I read the book, I was I was much younger then. I was absolutely fascinated by the fact. Here's this guy driving around. You were much younger when you said I was much younger. I was. It goes like that consistently. <laughs> Have you ever watched an ant crawl up a cone from a? Yeah. Yeah. I know where you're going. Yeah. Well, have you ever looked out the window and seen someone running, jogging across the street? Yes. Yep. You can see their past. You can see their future. You can see the truck from down the corner is going to hit him. All that stuff. Is there a radio playing somewhere? Yes. I'm, I'm listening to our show. I think it's great. <laughs> is that what you're doing? Yeah. I'm recording it, actually. In case uh, Douglas Shearer, who's no relation to Matt Allen, uh, couldn't record it. But I needed to be able to see the screen at the same time. So we need to be able to listen to the show while we're doing the show? Is that what's going That way you'll know whether or not you made any mistakes that you want to correct. I see. Well, the first one left. was as I showed up early. <laughs> I was showing up at all. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Mark, CG Board, did you find your phone? There he is. You found it. He's doing, you see, there's an audience, Mark. So say yes or no. Don't don't use hand signals. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah they, they didn't know. You know he, yes, he, the uh, answer is yes. 
Congratulations, Bazelka. Okay. You know, he tried uh, to get out a little bit early, or at least to, be, to come back to Santa Cruz <coughs> instead of wherever they have him locked up. Right. Uh, California Board of Prisons uh, decided no. You think? <laughs> yeah. Okay. They said no. Uh, Two-hour hearing uh, at the Mule Creek State Prison during which Mullen discussed his guilt, his life in prison, and his hopes for the future. And they were what? I just want to get back to living my life free, he said. They said, bad effing chance, Mr. Mullen. Yeah, 11 murders altogether. Hmm. So uh, he doesn't really classify, we don't know whether to call him a, a serial killer or a spree killer. Why doesn't a guy like that get uh, executed? Seriously. Uh, that's a good question. Oh, okay. How many years did he get? Well, life. He got life. Life, because he murdered 11 people. No was rude about it. And we gotta, we, we got to put this guy up for the next 40 years. Well, that's not going to take much out of your paycheck. Yeah, but any that comes out of my paycheck for this guy is too much. Well, yeah, but he thinks he did a good G. I mean, have you had that earthquake that he kept, kept us from having? Yeah. Where, 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 you survived it all right, right? I did. That's because of him. Oh, okay. Send him a check. <laughs> Send for Lithuania. Times are tough all over. He's not the craziest serial killer or spree killer that I've encountered in my career. All right, so let's move to that. Who who would that be? Uh, the fellow whose father, I think I mentioned this once before, his father is a very wealthy family, incredibly wealthy. There's two sons and a daughter. From the Pacific Northwest? No, no, back east. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, the father invented cling wrap, saran wrap. I do understand. He invented that, and he invented flame retardant carpet. And yet, he picked on his son for being a clinging, flaming retard, which is true. All right. So the son, uh, there's two sons and a daughter. The daughter ran away from home because the parents were, were totally batshit crazy. They would dress up in each other's clothes and get drunk on vodka and do weird stuff. And she said, I'm out of here. The other son, who's quite bright, was going to he invited a date over for a barbecue, and uh, he said something very rude to her that he thought was funny, and she hauled off and slapped him. And so he killed her, chopped her breast off, and cooked him on the barbecue. And when the cops I came... I like the white meat. How about you? <laughs> yeah, well, when the cops came looking for him, yeah. uh, they, they found the rest of her in the freezer. So about one son goes off for murder. The daughter's hiding out somewhere. She wants nothing to do with the whole family. Now, the other side, this is really sad, because all he really wanted is he wanted his father to protect him instead of beating him, <laughs> and the mother to love him. Well, the mother was not interested in doing that, and the father was not interested in doing that, the other thing either. So what you have is a, uh, a son who is a uh, cannibalistic, transvestite, serial killer, uh, who uh, wants to tries to become his own mother, kind of like Norman Bates. The only thing is he didn't have a motel. But aside from that, it's pretty similar. And I'll show you how far he went in his uh, fantasy and his delusions is when asked about his father, he s makes up this story about his father helping him hide one of the bodies trying to protect him, which his father never did. What year was this, 65? No, this is later. This is oh, closer, oh. closer to a contemporary time. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> like I say, incredibly wealthy family. Uh, and uh, when they finally got him, they, he, he led them to his uh, the various bodies, people he'd, he'd killed, etc. Uh, it, was, it was really a sad story, because if he hadn't had the kind of childhood he had, which was really horrible, horrible and abusive, he was very sensitive, 
he probably never would have wound up being that nuts. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, mean, uh, like, yeah, I remember. He was, you know. Like, so you're saying like, that, uh, that that damage damaged him permanently, mentally? Oh, he was very damaged, yeah. I mean, because they physically abused him, sexually abused him, emotionally abused him, treated him like crap. You know, he, uh, garbage in, garbage out. And it's fairly miraculous that people can recover. I met a fellow <laughs> who had one of those childhoods like that. And he became a, quite a violent criminal, but he finally got out of prison and ended up when he's turned around to the deepest seat of consciousness sort of thing. And he was talking about uh, how he kind of turned his whole life and attitudes around. And he starts to, he told the story of, of his life. I mean, he was actually physically, physically uh, horribly tortured by his own mother. I mean, real sick stuff. And... Like what kind of stuff? Oh, like you take fish hooks and a plunger, uh, you know, and a greyhound bus and a gas mask and put them all together, and what have you got? Bibbidi bobbidi boo. About like that. I mean, you know, psychosexual pain stuff. Very intense. And yet he wisely said, there is the subject of equivalent pain. The pain that my mother put me through by torturing me and all this stuff. For me to suffer that much, maybe you would suffer the equal amount if it was something that wasn't that, something totally different. You know, like uh, someone burns a hole in your Angora sweater. And to you, that is the same degree. I'm, I'm, I'm giving a like, milder example. But what it took for him to experience that degree of emotional pain and trauma for someone else would might take a lot less. So you can't say, well, you didn't have it as bad as me, so your trauma doesn't count. Because if it, if it does, if it does, you know, if the, if you're affected by it, you're affected by it. And so uh, uh, it was kind of a remarkable story. Because, I mean, people do recover from just about all sorts of madness. Some of them never do. It just depends on all sorts of stuff. On what kind of things? Wide variety, I'm sure. Their physical uh, abilities, their mental state. I was a friend of mine, maybe you knew him, Jeff Beals. Uh, he worked with... Uh, uh, what, what's the uh, talent agency that uh, uh, outsourced to uh, India? <laughs> oh, William Morris. That's right. Call me William Morris, the answer in Bangalore. <laughs> Guy was a witness protection program. They signed to William Morris. <laughs> yes, I know the joke. Keep going. Joke. Anyway, <clears throat> oop, where was I going with that? I don't know. I'm told. Oh, you asked who he worked for. It was named for William Morris. Uh, he stopped at a convenience store. On the highway, and as he comes out, this guy who's not paying attention to where he's driving with his truck hits him, drives over him, and then so shocked by what he did, he puts the car in reverse and drives over him again. But he's driving over his head. He had uh, Jeff had to learn to uh, walk, read, and write, and talk. So he survived that. Yes. Oh man. And uh, uh, yeah, and he had to learn to read and write all over again. So I mean, just start from scratch. Does the, you know, if your brain's uh, injured... Not a good thing. Not a good thing. So my brain was injured when I was very little. I wouldn't know enough to learn to lose anything. <laughs> and the thing that was more traumatized by it than I was was my cousin who was who accidentally hit me in the head with a pipe. I don't mean the kind of pipe to smoke. I was tossed in the air. You know, I had people do it with a baby. They'll, you know, do it. And there was a pipe in the ceiling. Bam! Front temp massive front temporal lobe, traumatic <laughs> brain injury. He thinks he's killed me, so he kind of, like, runs away for a while. He was 13 at the time. Now, he's in his 80s. I have no memory of this event happening, except when I went to the neurologist when I was about 50 because I started having some strange symptoms. The neurologist said, did tests and said, do you know that you were you had a massive front temporal lobe traumatic brain injury when you were an infant? He 
because they could tell by doing all the, you know, the brain sure. studies. And I said, I'd heard about it, but I don't remember it, because after all, 1947, they didn't have CAT scans, any of that stuff. And you didn't have a mind yet. Keep I didn't have a mind yet, right. but to mess with. You weren't even one. Keep going. Yeah, so uh, the neurologist said, basically, my brain being very soft and pliable and flexible, kind of rewired itself as best it could. And you became a disc jockey. And I, that's the punishment. Yes. <laughs> I shame of the entire family for generations. So seven generations. The, the big seven. <laughs> seven generations of doctors and lawyers and bears, oh my, and then a yeah, disc jockey. Mostly lawyers, yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Everyone's a lawyer except, except Burl Bear. Yeah. But they're all writers. Oh, good. Even though they're either a lawyer or a writer. Because you got uh, my nieces and nephews are writers. Got cousins are writers. Uh, cousin Shlomo is a writer over in uh, Israel. Shlomo Glickstein? No, Shlomo Bear. Yeah. And uh, uh, what's his name? Bear wrote the Mighty Mouse theme. Here we go to save the day. You know that one? A bear wrote that song? Yeah, yeah, Marshall Bear. Uh, he also did Once Upon a Mattress, that play. No kidding. Didn't yeah. know any of this. Yeah. So all the bears. Well, what happened to you? Uh, I'm, I'm a writer, too, you know. Just found, just found out. They hit the head with a pipe. Uh, no, I'm, I, my writing career has been doing quite well, thank you very kindly. And I still write commercials. I just do commercials just the other day, just yesterday. I was in Palm Springs, and a buddy of mine owns the uh, Coachella Valley Music Workshop, which actually is a recording studio, and they also do light and sound and all that stuff. And so I, I did some as a favor to him, and to ruin his reputation, I ad-libbed some <laughs> commercials for him, <laughs> which may end his career forever. He's a smart fellow, though. No, not too smart. Not to have me do no, it. That's right. And uh, oh, his wife made a lot of money. <coughs> Doing invested, what? What did she do? School. She invested it wisely. Did all this. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, she gives her husband, uh, here, honey, here's a million dollars to, to spend as you wish. And so what does the guy do with a million dollars? He buys a Bentley. Okay. I mean, well, that, there goes a quarter of it right there. Right there. <laughs> right there. I know there's a recording studio and all that stuff. And he sings. He's a nice guy. So uh, I, uh, I did commercials for him. She still, does he still have the Bentley? Still have the Bentley? Yeah, I was in it just yesterday. Okay. Gorgeous car. Yeah. Gets about three miles to the gallon. Yeah, that's not the point. No, it certainly isn't. Oh. It's a sturdy car, though. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, if I was driving a Honda and I hit that thing. You wouldn't want to. No. Because I was hit, when I was driving my Volvo 1800E, same mobile, you don't like the same drove on TV, I got hit head-on by a Honda Civic, and the Honda Civic was in pieces all over the highway. What uh, happened to the people? And the people were damaged in shipping and handling. I, however, was just fine. Because uh, well, the way they built the Volvo 1800 is that the shock is all absorbed somewhere in the frame, which bent the frame, but it didn't do anything <laughs> otherwise. I had one of those. Good car. Great car. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the other one that saved my life was the Mercedes-Benz turbo diesel wagon. Again. That's the one where I went over the cliff. <laughs> oh, back up. Well, at least you tried. I Hang didn't on. Do it, What's with the cliff now? Okay, I'm driving from Las Vegas, Nevada, to where, uh, heading towards L.A., except you get about halfway there, and you hang a right, and you go up to Northern California, if you go to Milpitas. Yeah, so but there's no cliffs there. Well, uh, ravine, shall we say. Not a cliff. It's not like a candy bar, but a ravine. So I'm driving along, and they're doing road work uh, and uh, on the side of the road. And I'm going along about 70. I'm in the far left lane. My tire hit the soft dirt. It's just the wrong angle. The car flips, rolls across the highway, crashes through the guardrail, 
and goes down this ravine. That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. When it came to rest on all four wheels, I said to myself, if this was a TV show, on the count of four, it's going to blow up. So it's amazing I was alive anyway. The only reason I was alive is that when the car started to roll, I leaned to my left, my head against the window on the driver's side, completely relaxed. The roof of the car came down to a razor-sharp point exactly where the center of my head would was. have been yeah. if I hadn't done that. And everything in the car was crushed except that one little area right next to the driver's side door where I'm leaning against. So to get out of there before the count of four, <laughs> I opened, I pull on the handle, door, I swivel out, and I stand there's people, of course, looking down, you know, taking pictures and, you know, posting it to Facebook. Japanese? Yeah, American, non-Japanese, too. And I just looked up and said, anybody up there got a cigarette? I'm feeling kind of stressed. No. <laughs> and they're all stunned that I'm alive. I walk up the hill. California Highway Patrol shows up. And they look down there. I had had a, a giant stuffed frog, you know, like, like a kid would, you know, it's a, you know, large. And, of course, it got thrown all around on the inside, so it looked like there was a body in the car. And so the guy from the State Patrol shows up, and he looks like he goes, oh. I said, excuse me, officer. I said, I'm the fellow who's driving the car. He goes, that's not funny. How dare you make fun of that poor son of a bitch who's obviously died in this terrible accident. I said, no, uh, officer, I really am the driver. Then he panics, figuring I'm on the verge of death, and I'm in shock, and I don't know, you know, that my kishkas are destroyed. Yeah, walking wounded. Yeah, walking wounded. So he, he's, he's you know, like, checking me out to see where all the bulk and broken everything. He goes, you don't have a scratch on you. Not even from all the flying glass. Nothing. Why don't you just leave? And so I said, thank <clears> you, <throat> officer. Uh, so they got, I got a ticket to go to Milpitas and left the car there. <laughs> that could not much to do with it. It's all crunched up like that. But if I'd been in anything else, we'd be having this conversation through a Ouija board. But thank God it was a uh, Mercedes-Benz on that one. And it was a Volvo 1800 um, when I got hit head on. The real delightful one. I've, I've had both of those cars. Yeah. Not at the same time. No. Actually, once, yeah, for a, a few months at the same time. And uh, I didn't care. Didn't care? Nope. Didn't get hit by anybody, did you? Nope. My favorite one, though, I was in a Subaru XT6, I believe. <coughs> Going over Snoqualmie Pass. Those of you in the state of Washington are familiar with Snoqualmie Pass. It's a mountain pass. Best kind. I'm zipping along. It's semi-winter. <laughs> I Semi. hit. In other words, it's not like heavy snow chains, right? right? There's enough. But I hit black ice. The car spins, stalls out, right in the path of a semi truck. There's no way that guy could stop. So, nope. this, and I'm in shock now because I mean, what are you gonna do? You see, you're about to die. Here's this truck. Right? It's far away. This is in my experience. This was my experience. I leave my body. Went into the cab of the guy sitting here and said to I went to the cab of the truck and I said to the guy, It's not your fault. You know you can't stop. I know you can't stop. So don't feel bad, like an all guilty about, about killing me because there's nothing you could have done about it. So promise me. And then I leave this cab, go back into my body, and just at the moment of impact, it's as if six guys grabbed the back of that Subaru and uh, jerked it. And all of a sudden, it just uh, jerks back. He misses me by about three quarters of an inch. 
and as he goes by. Well, I get out to thank whoever those guys were that just saved my ass. And there's nothing behind me except the edge of the car sitting over the edge of the cliff. Wow. Okay. I sat there and shook for a minute or two. <laughs> a minute or two. <laughs> and had a, <clears throat> uh, and then got on the road to Yakamon and produced a commercial. And, but I remember that was the first thought when I realized I was getting killed. You know, with it. Yeah. I said, oh, great. This is how my life ends because I was in a hurry to get to Yakima to produce a commercial. <laughs> well, the chances of that are very high, so, yeah. yeah. Well, as John Bauer, the John Bauer Concert <laughs> Company, said, you know what's going to say on your tombstone? It was, it goes, he sold a lot of tickets. Okay. <laughs> Can't complain about no, that. No, no, no. That's no, very good. He sold a lot of tickets. From a concert promoter, that's uh, the yeah. best compliment you can have. Yeah. I mean, he, he recited uh, some copy to me. For, uh, he says, yes, the long-awaited, much-anticipated, and often-dreaded return of so-and-so. I said, that's a good line. Can I use it? He says, you might as well as yours. Says, nah. <laughs> since you used that for Stevie Wonder five years ago. Oh, God. <laughs> Is that Stevie Wonder behind those Foster Grants? <laughs> Oh, man. Stop it. Oh, my favorite, though, is for Las Vegas. What is Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah. Gary Nassif? Okay. Jesus Christ and his only Las Vegas appearance. <laughs> Mark likes that. <laughs> I, was today, I was playing blackjack, and it wasn't his only uh, <laughs> appearance. You know, he saved you there? No, not me. Somebody else at the table. Really? You no, know, he's not saving me. No. No, he just looks down and goes, Matt, you. Yeah, the people say, Man, maybe Jesus will work a miracle in your life. I say, no, it'll be Moses, but what are we going to do with a staff that says to a snake? There you go. That's the problem. <laughs> now, I always have to explain to people the difference between the book and the movie when the Ten Commandments. Because people always take the movie as being the standard of accuracy <laughs> in the story. And then if you start telling it differently, go, that way it wasn't was like that. The movie, in the movie, Moses did all the talking. <laughs> In the book, Moses doesn't do any of the talking. And in the movie, they're always doing their, their thing in, in Pharaoh's castle, there, you know, with, you know, where Pharaoh gets to play Pharaoh. Yeah. But in the book, they only do that once. Then all the meetings after that are them all by themselves down down by the river. Down by the river. Down by just Pharaoh and the two of them. Well, but it's not an audience. Huh? Were they living in a van? Yeah, they lived in a van. A yeah. Chevy van, actually, with Sammy Johns. Look at that right? You got it right, but yeah, you and I are the only ones I think that know that. <laughs> I'm surprised I remembered it. Chevy van. Chevy van. I didn't like that one. Particularly. I didn't like it either. No, but how the hell did that get airplay? I know, but I always get None of us liked it. I always get confused between R. Dean Taylor, Indiana wants me. Well, R. B. Greaves, take a letter, Maria. Right. R. Dean, that was a uh, yeah, that was a Detroit and guy. it violated FCC regulations. You know that? What Indiana wants me? What because the siren? So, yes. Yeah. That's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying we can't put that siren on there. That's right. They get killed. But, it's a violation of the FCC regulations. Yeah, but nobody stopped it. Yeah, I almost got I almost got killed when someone doing that playing a siren on the radio. You got to suddenly pull over. There's no place to pull. Yeah. It's scary stuff. Well, it could be like War of the Worlds where people don't bother to listen to the entire show. They just hear the Martians are in New Jersey, and hey, that makes sense. But they've been there for years. Yeah, <laughs> that's like Buzz Aldrin said. R. Dean Taylor. Well, there's a name. Well, I have his greatest hits, Volume Three. Yeah, one <laughs> one single. Well, it's got the flip side too. What was that? Was not a hit. It was sold the same amount as the one on the other side. Oh, there you go. That's why they well always done. put. That's why. You put Danny and the Juniors at the hop, and on the other side is a song credited to Clark. Yep. 
I wish I had a few credit to me because the B-side, even if no one ever plays it, although... Still sells. I can remember when uh, when I went to work at the KOL radio and Robert Mitchell was a PD and music director. The Beatles had a new record. He puts on a... It's Revolution, right? The electric fast version. And I said, what's on the other side? He says, I don't know, it's a eight-minute piece of crap. <laughs> I said, I played it. Same thing. Uh, Atlantis by Donovan was the B-side. Of what? Of, um... Well, I'm going to stop and think about it now. It wasn't Susan on the West Coast Sunshine waiting. Superman? No, no, no. No, that was his own thing. The Celia of the Seals or something yeah. like that. Boy, the record company sure screwed him over. Who? Uh, uh, Columbia CBS. Because he did a double album in England. And he was supposed to have done something like a tour or something to back the album up. And anyway, they didn't release it in America to punish him. Because he was working on a film soundtrack. To punish him. To punish him. They're punishing themselves. I why know, it's a stupid thing. I don't understand why I, they would do that. I don't either, well, because, but they do things like that. Because his stupidity rises to the highest. Yeah. Just look at my career. I've tried. It's just doesn't, <laughs> not there. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. My brilliant career. I said, what other stupid serial killers are? Uh, well, then you have copycat serial killers. Okay. Uh... And like the Yorkshire Ripper, we did a whole show on the Yorkshire Ripper than the fake Yorkshire Ripper. Because the real Yorkshire Ripper got away with it, and the guy who was the copycat got so caught. Got caught. Well, you got to know all the details. It's it's a rough business. Being yes. a, you know, it's like being a music director at an old talk station. <laughs> you know, it's a tough gig. I can't even answer that. <laughs> can't even answer no. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that Howard Lapidus not only is manager to the star and many great stars over his career, what does someone call me the Broadway Danny Rose of escorts? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking I'll about? I'll explain that later. <laughs> I guess you will. <laughs> anyway, uh, that uh, Howard Lapidus not only is the manager of the star, but is a well-known and respected at one time radio station program director. And and not only in this country, but in foreign countries as well. That too, yes. I don't know. It's such, as, such as Canada. Canada is, believe it or not, and I've said this on the show before, it, it's extraordinarily more foreign a country than we think. Because they walk like us, they talk like us, they're not, not us. Like us. No, and they, by the way, don't like us. No, well, not, they, 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 not individually, but country-wise. They, they're not big on uh, the United States. It's the little brother, big brother syndrome, yeah. and that's the problem. Yeah. Like, like they, they don't, people don't know they exist. <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody said to me once, hey, you know, a Canadian says to me, oh, you got all these, all these guns. You know, at least we've got the natural resources and we got this, and you guys just walk around with guns. I go, let me tell you something about your natural resources. If we want them, we'll take our guns <laughs> and come and get them. <laughs> It's been done before. Yes. It's been done, been done again. Yeah. There's a, uh, in, uh, I was just the other day, the uh, United States government has treaties with other countries, other nations. Yes. And some of those nations are within our nation. They're the Indian nations. We have treaties with them. And in Oregon, the incredible water rights, mineral rights, are owned by uh, these tribes. Uh, and they built the big hydroelectric dam and everything. And uh, this fellow that, that uh, I stayed with there, uh, is the treaty administrator. I said, what's your big job, basically? He says, well, one of the major uh, parts of the treaty is that being that they are a nation under themselves is a protection. We protect them. If they're attacked, we protect them. 
I said, well, who's going to attack them? He says, the Us. state. Yeah. Yeah, he says, about every few years, some governor comes in and thinks, oh, I'll just take away the, the mineral rights. That works. <laughs> and he goes, no. <laughs> no. Oh, man. It doesn't work that way. And uh, uh, it was it the uh, Coachella Valley? The, uh, yes. Uh, we call them the McCallum Talkwitz tribe. I know the uh, Agua Caliente has the casinos down there. I think it's the tribal members who were like $20,000 a month each. Okay. That's a good deal. It's not bad if you no, can get it. If you can get it. They own just about everything down there. I mean, that's all. You know how long they've been there, that tribe? No. 4,000 years they can trace back. Really? Yeah, 4,000 years. You'd think they would have moved. Were they doing uh, the, the rock concert back then, too? Yeah, they were real rocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a, they got like hot springs and you know, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's great. Wonderful, wonderful. I don't like it there. You don't like the desert, do you? No. I'm not that crazy about the desert either. No. Matt's cuckoo crazy about it. He likes to be attacked by giant bats in the desert. Yeah. Last time I was in Palm Springs about a year I ago. My oh, hang on. Mark C.G. Boyer's Mark, Mark here. I've, I've, been, I've been to the desert with a Matt with no name. A Matt with no name? <laughs> I was kind of amusing. Yep. But I remember Matt telling a story about he was out in the desert somewhere and some giant insect from hell came and chased him. How did he know it was from hell? Because it uh, smelled the brimstone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> had horns. Yeah. And a pitchfork. Uh, you, know, you know why Moses has horns in the old religious paintings? Why would that be, Burl? Because of a mistranslation of a Hebrew word. And that word is? The one that actually means rays, like rays of light, you mm -hmm. know, like an aura coming off of him. But uh, the guy kind of made a mistake in translation. It came out protrusions or horns, and so they had these paintings. Moses has horns. Shame. Well, pick something up today that I didn't have. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing is, is <clears throat> if you ever, almost every Jewish person on the planet owns this, this book, the Pictorial History of the Jewish People. It's yes. Big, it's a big red book. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got it. Everybody's got it. And I opened it up. At a, I got it as a Christmas present. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. good. My favorite illustration in the book is Moses coming down from the mountain with the tablets where God has revealed the ten Roman numerals. Because <laughs> that's what's on the tablets. One, two, ten Roman numerals, one to ten. And what's the fascinatingly funny part well, of the this? The funny is that it's, yeah. well, that's what's on the tablets. It's simply Roman numerals. Okay. <laughs> like Moses yeah. reveals the Roman numerals. As opposed to the Hebrew. Yeah. There would actually be something written on them. Take two tablets and call me in the morning. Well, that's the old joke. Yes, here, it is an old joke. Oop, Ken. <laughs> is that a Mel Brooks bit? Yeah. Oh, I saw that. I saw part of that just recently. Which part? Yeah. yeah no, no. Uh, did you ever see Quest for Fire, where uh, yes. uh, was it Cheech Marin's daughter discovers oral sex? Uh, yes. And Ben said, yeah. Uh, Ray Dong Chong. Yeah, Ray Dong Chong. <laughs> She's married to C. Thomas Howell. She's married to C. Thomas Howell? She was. She was. What happened to that? Remember the, uh, the movie The Hitcher with Rutger Hauer? Well, who? The Hitcher. Rutger Hauer. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's it. Rutger Hauer and no, C. Thomas Allison. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, Matt gave me a version of that, um, of The Hitcher, well, a remake. I liked it. And the director, what, uh, Michael Bay, what is this? I mean, he wound up having a pretty good career. Yeah. Did real well for himself. Cannot complain. Uh, have you seen A Simple Favor? Uh, maybe. Have I? It, I don't know. It's, What's it's, it about? 
It's a uh, the kind of nerdy girl becomes best friends with a uh, rather strange, sophisticated-looking, uh, good-looking woman, and suddenly she disappears. And so she goes, "No, look. see it." Okay. Yeah. See it now. Is yes, it playing right now? Minute. Yes, it's playing now. I downloaded it. What? <laughs> it's really good. Another one that's supposed to be great is uh, what? Pardon, pardon me for interrupting, or uh, something like that. Must be very. It's quite weird. good. Did you see it already? Yeah. Quite good. I, I haven't. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet. And uh, there's a bunch of good movies there. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was extraordinarily surprised. I, uh, going in, I wanted to see it because I wanted to see it, and I live live part of it. But uh, I, I did not think that the movie was going to be great, and that was Bohemian Rhapsody. It turns out, great movie. Really? A great movie, not just good. Well, how I see, uh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I mean, see it because it's uh, not only did you live part of it, probably undoubtedly, but. Um, uh, you were in that. You come from that era, and they got it right. They got it right. Oh, they got it right. That's amazing because usually they don't get it right. They got this like, one right. It's like uh, for radio stations. Uh, uh, Rami Malek, who played Freddie Mercury, yeah. tremendous, and will be nominated. I think uh, the nomination's uh, top yeah, of the week. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Um, I think he did. Uh, what was Quite good. He damn good job. I thought I was just going to go see some crazy yeah, rock and roll yeah. movie. No. Like I was saw Private Parts, Howard Stern film. It's the only movie I've ever seen where everything was accurate in the radio stations at the time period. Yes, of course. Was, uh, Except was, the slamming of the doors. No, no, no. You know where the slamming of the doors were in KRP Cincinnati? Yeah. The doors always, always slammed. Slamming. Yeah, yeah. yeah, always. Because yeah. it used to make me nuts. Yeah. But no, and, and they'd show a uh, radio station studio at a certain time. The equipment was absolutely right. Yes. And I was so surprised. Yeah, they had the big, uh, what were the... Reco uh, Cuts. <laughs> yeah, what were the turntables back in those days? So, Reco Cuts. Yeah. Reco Cut was the uh, brand I remember. Okay. And uh, and the, the uh, card decks and the... Uh, oh, the card stuff. decks, yeah. Oh, man, it was all, it's all I could I don't think I could ever work without a card deck. I just it's liked them. It's hard to get used to not just having one. Just liked them. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I worked where we had the one where it was it looked like a window shade roll. Yeah. With strips on it, mm -hmm. and, and and it would always come loose. Go flop, 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 flop. <laughs> you have to put a piece of tape on it. See, now Matt remembers all that stuff. I hope so. Yeah, so do I. Hey, thanks for listening. It's been True Crime Uncensored, our serial. What the hell edition. did we talk about today? We talked about serial killers. Yes, and we did. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you found your phone. Yeah. Bro, what's next? Oh, I don't know. What's next? <laughs> Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence live for the Light in the Lounge right here on Howler Radio Live. Dot. You keep dreaming and dark scheming, yeah, you're doomed. You're a poison, and I know that it's untuned. All my friends think you're vicious, and they say you're suspicious. You keep dreaming and dark scheming, yeah, you're doomed.